Hey, good morning. I'd like to start with a question. Who runs your schedule? Is it your boss? Is it your school? Is it your spouse? Is it your children? Who runs your schedule? Whose time are you on? Are you on God's time or are you on your time or are you on someone else's time? A couple years ago, I got to go to Israel. Uh, it was my first time ever going. It was part of my master's program over to Zuza Pacific. And, uh, and one of our first stops in Israel was this place called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, Caesarea Philippi is this northern city up in Israel, and it's, it's not a city anymore. It's an old, ancient city. And uh, there's some cool stuff that happened there in the Bible, so we went up there to go see some stuff. And uh, as I'm walking around, we have these little, like, earbuds in. So if you ever go to Israel on a guided tour, any kind of guided tour, tour typically they hand you a little thing to put in your ear so you can hear the tour guide talking. And uh, so I'm kind of walking around, I'm listening to the tour guide, and I'm looking at some of this cool stuff, and there's ruins everywhere, and I, I'm a history nerd, so I love this stuff. So I'm like geeking out here, and I'm like looking at this pillar, and like, oh, it's a Corinthian column, and like, ooh, that's a Doric column, and I'm like geeking out. And, uh, and then I see up on the hill, though, I see this big castle, and, uh, and this really piques my interest, because uh, I like history, but I also like, like, the history of warfare. Like, weapons fascinate me. Like, if you show me a sword, like, my mouth might start drooling. Like, I'm just interested in that stuff. And my wife makes fun of me, but, like, I see this castle up there, and, like, I'm like, wow, I gotta go check out that castle. And the coolest part was, um, it wasn't, like, like all museumed, right? It wasn't, like, a tourist thing. Like, like, I was up in the hills. It looked overgrown. It looked like I wasn't supposed to be there, so I really wanted to go check out this castle. And so I decided, like, I'm gonna go hike up there, and I'm gonna leave my group a little bit, and I'm gonna hike up there, and I'm gonna go check out this old old medieval castle. And I Googled it first, and it was like a Crusader-era castle. So I'm like, I got to see this. And, uh, and I start walking up, and the tour guide says, hey, uh, we got to be back at the bus in 10 minutes. And I just like melted right there. I was, I was so upset. I was so frustrated because I'm like halfway across the world. I may never come here to Israel again. And I see this castle, and I want to go up there, and I can't. And this was just kind of getting at something um, that's a reality for all of us. We hate being on someone else's time. Right? None of us like having someone else setting our schedule. We hate waiting on someone. We hate being on other people's time. Uh, think of the last time you were on hold when you're sitting there and the cheesy music is playing. Are you smiling when you're on hold? Are you just giddy with excitement? No, it makes us angry, right? When, when I'm on a roller coaster, I'm having a good time, right? When I'm watching a movie, uh, I'm smiling, but when I'm on, when I'm on hold, um, I'm, I'm upset. I'm angry. That's just our, our, our status when we're on hold. It's because we're on someone else's time. Or, or think of the last time you wanted the cable guy to come out. And they're like, yeah, we can be there anywhere from uh, 9 p.m. Uh, to 6 p.m. And you're like, what? Like, we don't like being on other people's times. It, it bothers us. It frustrates us. And to the best of our ability, we try and, and control our time. We like to have control over that. And so what do we do? We set schedules. We set rhythms. And we get into routines. And we do this. You probably have a morning routine that hasn't changed in 10 years, right? You probably have a way that you get ready for bed that also hasn't changed, right? Once we get into an established rhythm, we like to keep it. We like to do things our way on our time. And this plays into every part of our life, right? When you were at school, you had a, had a way that you would go about school once you figured out your class schedule. At work, you have a certain routine. You get things done at a certain time, and you do it your way on your time as much as you're able to. And we do this with our faith, too. Right? When it comes to, to living according to God's plan, we, we slowly, as we become deeper in our faith, we slowly develop this routine. We develop this Christian rhythm where we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church a certain time of the week. Right? And you guys are here for first service on Sunday, so this is probably part of your church routine. And many of you, how many of you, can you raise your hand if you're sitting in your seat? Like this is your seat, you're always here. Some of you, not as many as I would expect. Wow, 
Good for you. Good for you. Man, at the church that, that I'm at, everyone has their seat. And like, if someone, if there's someone new and they sit in their seat, like they're going to get some looks. Like it's, everyone's got their routine and not really, it's not that bad, but, but people like their spots. I'm, I'm proud of you guys. But, uh, but we, we get this way with our faith, right? We, we, we have a church that we go to and we have a time that we go to that service, right? We have a time where we try and, and pray. We have a time that we give God where we're going to read our Bibles. And then midweek, we have a time maybe where you're part of a, a life group. And then maybe you say, this is where I'm going to serve. And we set up this rhythm and we set up this routine. And we get this idea in our heads of like, this is what my Christian faith should look like. And once we kind of get that set up, it starts to solidify, Right? And it starts to become this thing where we're saying, okay, I got to just get better and better at accomplishing this, right? So I want to be really good about reading when, during my reading times. I want to be really good about paying attention during church and, and not falling asleep. I, I want to get better about being engaged in the worship. And, and we have this, this goal, we have this vision for what we think Christianity should look like, and it becomes this routine. It becomes this lifestyle. And that's good, right? Because if, if you aren't controlling your time, something else or someone else will. And so if we're not setting aside this rhythm and this routine for God, then God's just going to end up on the back burner. So it's good that we get into this routine, but it can also be dangerous. It can also be really dangerous. We're concluding this series today on hold on. And we've been talking about all the areas where we, where we want to be holding on to God in the midst of, of uncertainty, in the midst of a conforming world, in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of, of something challenging your integrity, we need to hold on to God. But today, I, I want to challenge you. Maybe we're holding on a little bit too tightly to some things. When it comes to this rhythm, when it comes to what we think God wants our lives to look like, some of us have placed ourselves in the position of God. We've decided what it means to follow God. And we have good intentions. We look at Scripture and we look at the lives of other Christians but we've made this decision that this is what God wants my life to look like, and so I'm going to strive to achieve this. And sometimes we hold on so tightly to what we think God wants from us that we miss Jesus, that we miss the Spirit. We have everything so scheduled out and so planned out that when God wants to go a different direction, we say, well, no, God, you're, i got to be here on Sunday. Or, or no, God, i, I got to do this right now. Some of us are holding too tightly onto what we think God wants. And, and we've been doing it for so long that we've kind of forgotten what it means to follow the Spirit. There's this guy in the Bible, his name is Nicodemus, and he was really wrestling with this. He had in his mind what he thought the godly life looked like. And then Jesus, God himself, comes on the scene and challenges that. And Nicodemus doesn't really know what to do. So I want to turn to John chapter 3. We're going to take a look at Nicodemus' story. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to hold on a little bit too tightly. And we're going to see how this happens. So John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. And it says this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. I have a picture of a Pharisee that I'm going to put up here. And uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And so this is, uh, this is from the TV series, The Chosen. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. It's really good. Um, but Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And, uh, and we see that we're stepping into this time where we're seeing a few things about Nicodemus. First, um, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. Um, and second, like I mentioned, he's a Pharisee. Now, this tells us that Nicodemus knows his stuff. Right? When it comes to being religious, when it comes to knowing God's will, when it comes to understanding God's word, Nicodemus got it. 
He understood it. He was well-respected. He was well-versed. He was well-educated. He knew what he was talking about. All right, this guy was, was a very religious person. He probably knew his Old Testament better than we do. Right? To be a, both a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council, you have to have a lot of intelligence. You have to really know your stuff. And he certainly did. And, and the Jewish people back in this time, they would take the Old Testament, they would take the Ten Commandments, and they would take God's word for their lives, and they would plan it out to the letter. Right? They would take honor the Sabbath, and they would turn that into an entire book, exactly what it looked like to honor the Sabbath. Like, like what happens if, if your tree is dying and you see that your tree is dying? Are you allowed to go and water it? Are you allowed to go and prune it? They had everything mapped out, every scenario. They decided, they looked at Scripture and they interpreted, this is what it looks like to honor God in every single situation. Right? They took the God-honoring life, they put it down in paper, and they said, this is exactly how we serve the Lord. They established the perfect routine. And they weren't off base, right? They had scripture. They were serving the right God. It's not like they're, they're serving some other God or they've got some other book that they're going off of. No, they're, they're worshiping God. They're trying to serve the right God. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he challenges them. He says, hey, hey, I see this box you're trying to put God in, but God doesn't fit in that. And the Pharisees, they aren't hearing it. They're like, no, we have scripture. You can't change the Bible. The Bible says honor the Sabbath. And we've put a lot of time into figuring out what that means. You can't change this. We know what God wants for our lives. And the Pharisees, they're rejecting this. In fact, they reject it so harshly, they kill Jesus. But Nicodemus is different. He's one of the only Pharisees we see where he, he sees that there's something different about Jesus. And he wants the truth. He's desperate for answers. And so he goes to Jesus at night. And he says, teach me, tell me. Nicodemus has spent his entire life trying to get this right. Many of you are in this position where you spent your whole life trying to figure out what does a God-honoring life look like? What can I do to satisfy God's will for my life? And Nicodemus is in the spot and he realizes I'm missing something. I've come up short. And so he goes to Jesus. And then Jesus says in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I want to hear this with fresh ears. Let's pretend like we've never heard Billy Graham talk about this or we've never heard someone say born-again Christian. What did Nicodemus hear in this moment? Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. He's desperate for truth. He's dedicated his whole life to honoring God. And here he is saying, teach me, show me. I can see that God has sent you. I need answers. And then Jesus' response, you need to be born again. How do you hear that? What does that mean to you? What do you think that meant to him? When I hear that, I, I hear this need to, to start new, right? This need to kind of get rid of some of the old ways, this need to, to come in with a fresh perspective. But I'm also terrified when I hear that because I've, I've got my way of doing things. I've got my routine, and my routine, it works. It fits into my schedule, right? I, I, can, I can plan on, on when I'm going to do this and when I can do that, and, and it works with my timeline. But to be born again, to, to get rid of that, that's challenging. That's terrifying, if I'm being honest. Jesus clarifies this further. In verse 5, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
water and the spirit. Like I said, Nicodemus is desperate for answers here. And then Jesus gives him this. You need to be born of water and the Spirit. Now in the Old Testament, we see water come up a lot. It's a frequent theme. And, and really what it's doing is, is when Jesus says water here, he's pointing to, to water being as symbolic of death. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. The Jewish people would have understood this, that, that water represented death. When God needed to restart creation, when God needed to wipe out everything, it was water. When God was delivering his people from Egypt, when he was severing ties, when he was getting rid of their identity as slavery, it was through the Red Sea. It was through the waters that they crossed. And then through the waters that God destroyed the, Israel, the, the Egyptian king and the army. It's water that represents death. And so part of what Nicodemus is saying is you need to die to the old way. You need to be born through water. You need to get rid of something. You need to get rid of everything. You think you know what God wants for your life. Toss that out. And then you need to be born of the Spirit. Now, the Hebrew word, Jesus isn't speaking Hebrew here. This is the New Testament, so this is Greek. But the Hebrew word for spirit, I'm going to throw it up here. It's, it's ruach. And this is really cool because the Hebrew word for spirit is also the same word for breath and the same word for wind. And we see this tying into creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we see that in the beginning, after God created the heavens and the earth, on the earth there's this water, and then on the water there's this spirit. And so when Jesus says being born of water and the spirit, he's kind of pointing back to creation here. And he's talking about, about death, but he's also talking about life. And not just any kind of life, right? We've got breath in our lungs, but we have to remember that, that the breath in our lungs, that's from God. It's God's breath. We're alive because he says so, because he breathed life into us in the beginning. And so when Jesus is saying you need to be born of death, he's also saying you need to be born of life, of his life, of the spirit. And then he does something interesting. He ties it into the wind, which again, he's kind of doing a play on words because wind and the spirit, they're kind of one and the same here. And he's saying people born of the spirit or people born of the wind, they're like the wind. Right? You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. And he's saying something really powerful here to Nicodemus. He's saying, you can't put God in your box. God doesn't fit in your perfect little schedule. The Jews had it all planned out. They had an idea of what they thought God wanted their lives to look like. But really, they were making the decision. They were making the call. They were on their own time. And they were doing it with the best intentions, but they were in charge. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're living by the Spirit, if you're allowing God to lead you, it won't fit into a box. It won't fit into your comfortable little routine. God is challenging Nicodemus, and God is challenging us too. It's so easy for us to just reduce God to a set of practices, to give him a couple hours here and then a couple hours there and say, God, I hope you show up. I hope worship is good this morning. I've given you these hours I hope you speak to me when I pray. I'm taking time out of my busy schedule. And we expect God to be on our time. But here Jesus is saying, no, you need to be on my time. If you want truth, if you want to see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, you need to be on my time. The spirit is in charge, not you. And this is a challenge to Nicodemus because he had it all planned out. He had put God in his time and it worked well for him. He was wealthy. He was respected. He was in control of his schedule. He could predict what the next year was going to look like. He had his five-year plan and his 10-year plan, but then Jesus comes and he says, no. Now you're going to be on my time. People born of the Spirit 
are going to be like the wind. Don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. It's unpredictable. But this makes us really uncomfortable. And this is really challenging. Part of what Jesus too, is doing, too, he's not tearing everything down. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Right? Part of what Jesus is doing is removing the old way. There's a death there. But he's also not saying, hey, get rid of everything. Right? In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? He's not saying to Nicodemus, hey, everything that you're doing is wrong. No. And, and the routine that we've all established, right, our, our, our church and our prayer time and our reading time and our worship time and, and all this stuff that we do, God's not saying, I, you need to get rid of that. But he's saying, don't limit me to that. Yes, use that. This is a good thing. Your Christian rhythm, your routine, the idea of what you think a Christian life looks like, that's important and that's good and we need to live by that. God has given us that. God has given you that. But we cannot ever get to the point where we are making this routine God. God doesn't want a routine. He doesn't want a rhythm. He wants a relationship. And when we boil it down to a few hours out of the week, then it just becomes this Christian obligation. And it becomes lifeless and it becomes dead. And some of you are in a place this morning where you're looking at your routine and you're like, man, I haven't seen God here in years. I haven't experienced the Spirit in a fresh way in way too long. And maybe you, you connect with Nicodemus and, and, and you're sitting here and you're saying, I need Jesus to speak into this. I need to experience him again. Maybe you look back on how it was at first and you're like, how did I get here? How did it become so lifeless? See, it's so much easier for us to just follow this routine and this rhythm than it is for us to follow the Spirit because the Spirit is absolutely unpredictable. The Spirit is dangerous when it comes to our schedules and our comfort. This hit me really hard this week. I was, uh, I was working on my sermon, and I've got a routine. I've got a rhythm that I really like when it comes to teaching. And I start with Scripture. And so this week, I started with John chapter 3. And the first thing I try and do is I try and, I try and allow the Scripture to speak to me. Right? Because if it's not speaking to me, then I have no business speaking it to other people. And so I try and, I try and come up with one sentence. What is this saying to me? Can I put it in a sentence? Can I make it a main point? And then from there, I start putting it all on paper, and I try and put a story here, I try and put a statistic there, and a quote here, and I go through, and I do all this work, and I do my little rhythm, and it works really well for me. I really enjoy it, and, it's, and I've developed a good routine for it. And I'm doing that uh, this week, and I, uh, I get to the point, I usually try and have it like done, done by Thursday. Um, that way I can try and take Friday and Saturday off, and I can get some rest. Um, and so I like to have it completely done by Thursday. So I like that's on paper by Tuesday or Wednesday, and then I've said it enough to have it memorized by Thursday. And I, and I get to Thursday, and it's, it's on paper, and I've said it, but the Spirit isn't there. And this has happened once or twice before, and so I'm not too stressed. I know I've got a few days, and, uh, and I know God will come through. Um, but then I get to Friday, and it's, it's still not there. So I actually, I rewrote it. I was like, okay, I, I, obviously if the Spirit isn't here, then I'm, then I'm stepping ahead of God. I need, to, I need to be listening to that. So I rewrite it, and I'm saying it, and I'm saying it, and the Spirit's still not there. And I'm getting stressed, right? And I'm, I'm getting really worried, and I'm actually getting angry. And I remember sitting in my, in my office chair, and I was up at work, and it was late, and I wanted to be home. I wanted to be watching Netflix with my wife. We're on this really good show, and that's where I wanted to be. Um, but there I am up at work, and it's late at night, and the air conditioning's off, and so it's hot, um, and so I had like, this little like air mover that I got from downstairs um, and it's like making my lips chapped and I'm in a bad mood. 
because I, I, I'm at work way later than I want to be. And I'm sitting back in my office chair and I, I remember putting my head back and I remember like, there was no one in the office. I just went, oh, like I, I just like let out this verbal frustration. And I remember asking myself after that, like, why am I mad? Why am I upset right now? Like, like obviously you know, there are other things I want to do, but why am, why am I really upset? And then it hit me, it hit me so hard. This was one of the most humbling moments. I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. I was expecting God to work on my time. I was expecting God to fit in my box. You see, I had this routine that I liked, that I could control, that allowed me to have time off when I wanted to have time off, that allowed me to put the spirit perfectly into this little paper, and it's going to be really cool because people are going to get goosebumps in this part, and then I'm going to have energy in this part. And I was trying to say, God, this is where you fit in my life. And then there God was saying, no. No, I'm not going to be on your time. And it was so humbling because I was sitting there realizing that, that it's so easy for us. I mean, if, if I'm preaching on this and I'm settling into routine, if I'm preaching on this and I'm missing it, it is so easy for us to allow us to get into these routines where the Spirit isn't there. Where in your life have you settled for a rhythm over a relationship? Where in your life have you put yourself into this routine where you are playing God? It's way too easy, and it happens way too often. And so this is my challenge to you. And this was, Nicodem- this was the challenge that Jesus gave Nicodemus. Would you be willing to allow the, mirror, the Spirit to move beyond your schedule, to take you out of your routine? Maybe you're saying, God, I'm going to give you this time right here and this time right here, but then the Spirit says, I have a little more for you. Are you willing to listen to that? Or have we become complacent to say, hey, if God shows up here, cool. If he doesn't, I'll catch him next week. Where are you at with that? I've been going through this book called Forgotten God with my life group. And it's a really good book. It's written by Francis Chan. He also wrote Crazy Love. But it's a book about the Holy Spirit. And it talks about, and really he starts off with this premise saying that most people, most Christians, don't need the Holy Spirit. The way that, they're lived, the way that they live their lives the way that they go about their schedules and their routines, if the Holy Spirit wasn't real, if God wasn't real, most people, most Christians' lives wouldn't look any different. And it's really challenging. It's really convicting. And I would highly recommend, if if you're comfortable with the Holy Spirit, if you're familiar with it, it's still a good read. If you're brand new, it's a great read. This is a really good, um, it's a really good book on the Holy Spirit, Forgotten God by Francis Chan. But this whole premise that, that we're living lives, we often live lives where if God wasn't real, what would actually be different? And that's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Where in your life do you need God? Where in your life would things absolutely fall apart if God wasn't there? If you're like me, you've set up a lot of safeguards. You've set up a lot of routines in which you can do it on your own, in which you don't need God or you don't need other people because it's safer, it's more convenient, it's something you can plan on. But where in your life Do you need God? And I want to challenge you to think about that. And I want to challenge you to open yourself up to being on God's time more often. It's not easy. It's not convenient. And it's frustrating at times because we like to be in control. But God has something he's trying to do in and through you. And he wants to use the Spirit. But like Jesus says, when we're born of the Spirit, we're not on our time. You can't tell where it's coming from and you can't tell where it's going. I'm going to pray for us. Dear God, we thank you for your spirit, God. We don't deserve it. 
We don't deserve a minute of your time, God, but you've placed your spirit within us. We thank you and we praise you, God. I lift up the hurting heart this morning, God, the heart that hasn't experienced you in years. Lord, the heart that's desperate for you. Lord, I pray, encounter them in this moment. Lord, reveal to them the areas where you want to do more work. Give them clear next steps, God. Guide them as they seek to serve you, as they seek to hear from you. Put your spirit within them even more powerfully. Lord, fill us and guide us, and God, give us courage as we wait for you. As we put ourselves in positions where we can't go forward without you, fill us with courage, Lord. Give us the patience to wait on you. And in all this we pray in Christ's holy name.